Welcome to the Sisters of Industry podcast with hosts Laura Brown and Jen Williams, where the goal is to help you work harder, lean smarter, and live life better. Where one bloodline and different industry experiences will provide new insight to make you more effective at work and play. Our mistakes will help all of us laugh and learn. Get ready to lean in, lean out, and possibly snort coffee out your nose as they talk about all things business, leadership, and life. Let's go. I'm Laura, and I believe Deming said it right. In God we trust, all others bring data. And as far as I'm concerned, the more data, the better, and bring it to me in spreadsheets. Or bring me chocolate, which also helps if it's dark chocolate. I'm Jen, and I'm sticking with Ronald Reagan on this one. Trust, but verify. Today, we're continuing our series on trust. Last week, we talked about leaders and how we earn the trust of others. And now it's time to get really personal. How do we give our trust away? Who gets our trust? When do they get it and why? And what do we do when our trust has been abused? So Jen, today we're going to kind of dive into this whole concept of giving trust. We talked about how we gain the trust of others, both as leaders, as companies, as individuals. And today, I think this is the harder part, at least it is for me personally. How do you decide how to give your trust to somebody? Do you think this one's harder than earning it or are you the other way, Jen? No, I think this is definitely harder. And I think what we're going to even uncover is as we talk about giving our trust, we're going to put to the test everything we talked about last week in earning trust. Because even though I think, you know, we were we were pretty spot on with some of the things we talked about in in terms of, you know, knowing your stuff and, you know, people doing the hard work and being transparent, people can do all of those things. And it still can be really hard to give away our trust, especially on really big pieces, whether it's a big financial piece or um, with someone we trust or anything like that. And so, yes, I definitely think this one's harder and we're definitely going to put to test a lot of the, the ideas we had on earning trust. It would be so easy, I think, to spend the next 15 minutes just saying, you know what, take the opposite of everything we said last week instead of, you know, do they know their stuff? Are they being transparent with you? And there is some reality there, but I think giving away trust is a harder thing. So there's some additional elements that we really have to go over. Um, And I want to just acknowledge right out of the gate that I think there's something that we can't teach on a podcast about this. And it's the fact that giving away your trust at some point requires a gut level instinct and a willingness to just kind of take a leap. And those are really hard things to get a feel for and to get comfortable with um, over time. And I think you go into trust knowing that it's a probability game. There are going to be times when you give your trust away and it may not end well, but you have to be willing to give it to experience the good things. This is a risk reward proposition we're talking about today. That's that's right. And I think of it, especially as it relates to um, hiring and <laughs> employees and things. And I can think about times where, you know, I hired somebody and I trusted that it was a good decision and it was going to be the right match and it didn't end up being the case. And so even when I hear you talk about that gut level instinct that there is a certain place that it comes down to, I think that's a gut that is 
earned and honed versus an instinctual thing. Now, not to say that some people aren't naturally better at that and have a high level of, of discernment. And those things are certainly gifts that people have in different levels. But I do think this is something that all of us can learn and have to learn. And unfortunately, is sometimes learned the tough way because we did trust and it didn't turn out the way we thought it would. That's really true. And I'll tell you, this is a case where having that concept of a red team alive and well in your life is probably important too. Last week, we talked about who's your Leo McGarry, right? Who's that one person who's helping you kind of think through some things? Or we talked about that a few weeks ago, I should say. But um, we've talked about that concept. I think when it comes to trust and when you decide, when you make decisions that put faith in others, be it individually or as an entity, um, that concept of a red team sometimes is important. If you just don't have all the information or maybe you're in a new space where it's really hard to follow your instinct, who are the couple people that you put around a table maybe who ask you the hard questions or challenge you on why you're willing to give your trust and help you think of different things? Um, and in this case, I can't help but envision um, in the television show Newsroom, one of my personal favorites, forgive me for the language, those of you that have watched it or go watch it based on this recommendation and wonder about me. Um, the language on that show is rough, acknowledging it. But in, um, I believe it's the second season, yes. Jen, of yeah. Newsroom, um, they're dealing with a very, a news story that they want to break and they do multiple rounds of red team to essentially try to prove to each other whether or not they have good information. Information. And I won't ruin the plot point beyond that other than to say it's fascinating to watch these professionals, these intelligent persons, people that have to make decisions about who to trust and not to trust when deciding to break news and use what is being presented as facts on a daily basis and the care they put into red teaming a big decision. So not all decisions are that big, though, Jen. So I think let's just come back a little bit to when it comes to just the basic concept of trust and the concept of who can you trust. And there I'm very clearly referencing, I think, um, Rachel Botsman, who is, I would suggest, one of the leading, if not the leading um, voice in our society today on this entire concept of trust. I know you're a big fan, Jen. Um, and she talks a lot about who you can trust and how you decide where to put your trust. Um, what's a big takeaway that you get when you listen to Rachel that really sticks with you on this trust concept? Yeah, I am a huge fan of Rachel. And it's funny to me that you called her the leading voice because I trust her mostly because of her British accent. Um, Amen. Because I just feel like, you know, people are smarter um, when they speak with a British accent. I'm, I'm more inclined to believe everything that they say. And so anyway, obviously not true, but true. Um, I, I love Rachel Botsman. Her book, Who Can You Trust?, is absolutely great. And if um, reading isn't your thing or, or you're not ready to dig into that, check out a couple of her TED Talks on trust because I think what she has been able to do and lead the conversation on is this idea of how do we understand trust. And I think the biggest framework that she helped me with is understanding the fact that trust is, is definitely something that has evolved and there is definitely different ways our society has, I guess, grounded trust and the places where we've, um, where we've put more of our trust in different mm -hmm. ages. And so mm -hmm. she, she creates a framework where she talks about local trust and, you know, goes all the way back to when it used to be, you trusted your neighbor, you trusted the farmer next door. Like, you know, we, when we were, you know, a very 
society that wasn't connected in all the ways that we are right now. So you go back in time and there's this local trust. Well, that then evolved into an age of institutional trust, right? We built these great institutions and people trusted them, whether it was their church or their bank or the government. Like, I mean, there was this high level of institutional trust that maybe 50, 60 years ago was relatively high. And then she has done some incredible research and work on the fact that we are now moving into a new age of trust that is all about distributed trust. And to break that down really quickly, and we'll link all of this in the episode notes, because I really do want to encourage y'all to get this straight from her, um, because she does such a good job with it. But she talks about the fact that we've become so cynical and distrusting of institutions and in some ways of each other. And yet that has happened so, like right alongside this era where we take Uber rides and Lyft rides and stay in Airbnbs and we are we are exhibiting this high level of trust in complete strangers. Um, one of the ones she talks about in her um, one of her TED talks is TaskRabbit and how people are outsourcing all of these chores, whether it's putting together your IKEA furniture or you know. Um, getting your groceries or running your laundry and we're putting our trust, we're distributing our trust in all of these different places and we're doing it based on reputation as a leading currency. And so where, you know, there used to be this economic currency of trust or all these other things, she's talking about the fact that we are now living in an age where our reputation is truly one of the most sacred things we have. What is it that other people say about us? Because we're going to trust people based, we're going to, this is what's really fascinating. We're going to trust strangers based on what other strangers tell us about them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and Jen, I find that to be such a fascinating concept, right? Because it does make trust a very personal, intimate topic. There was a time when you would say, I trust my bank. And that bank was a company. Now, if you really go back to the beginning of this concept of institutional trust, when you trusted your bank, you knew the guy who was running the bank. Like you picture right. that, you picture, and a lot to all a lot of us, this is what we see in the books and the movies. It's not necessarily something we firsthand lived, but our understanding of that period of life was you knew who the teller was or who the gentleman was who was approving loans behind the door and who was intimately aware of how liquid um, the bank was, right? Mm -hmm. You knew who the people were. So I actually think there's this resounding theme in trust about knowing a person over a nameless or even a named entity. And um, that even applies to sales. There was a time in my career when I was in sales. I wasn't good at it, but I did it. And, um, you know, even then, a lot of times what you come to understand is that you're going to do a better job of getting a deal signed by sitting across the desk from somebody, especially if that's someone you've shared a meal with or gone through a difficult supply demand experience with and they've trusted your ability to stand up for them and help deliver, right? Mm-hmm. 
the intimacy of a person as opposed to an entity is so important in this concept of trust. So I think that one of the ways that we can and should think about how we give away our trust is, am I giving trust to a blind kind of a box, a conceptual box, or am I finding someone that I personally stake that trust in? I may not know everybody at the bank in this day and age, but I know this one person in embedded in that company that I believe in, or I know of to the point you were making about Uber and some of those others, right? I know of someone who had a very good experience and I'm willing to move forward. But there is this sense of keeping trust is personal. Yes. Business, whether that's a business, a familial, however you say it, trust is personal. And in order to give your trust away, I think one of the first things you need to do is say, am I willing to give my trust to an unknown concept? And how do I get comfortable with that concept without a name or a face? Or do I always need to have a specific name or face to which I'm going to attach that trust, even if I'm using them as a representation of a larger entity? Exactly. And this is where I think you see this all over the place. It's why if you're going to shop on Etsy, you're going to see the person's face and their name up in the corner because you're going to know that James in Utah is making this thing that you're buying and here's what he looks like and there's his dog. And so even though you're likely never going to meet him and you're still at the end of the day, you're purchasing something from Etsy, but you're purchasing it from James's shop and you're looking at his face and that's the connection that has to happen. There's this high relationship level. And so in a really connected age, we have access to actually learn more about each other. Let me go back to the hiring thing I was talking about. You know, it used to be in a hiring process, you would send in a resume and people would look at your levels of experience. Right now, I'm not sure that resumes, um, and again, different industries here, you know, so I'm sure in different places they're used to a greater extent. They might be used as an initial weeding through process. But my goodness, I haven't hired anyone in years that one of the first things I've done before I even read through their resume was I got enough of their name to look them up on social media and and to check them out online and to start looking around and seeing who I knew that might know them and, you know, making those reference calls long before I made it through the the whole of the resume because it's coming back to we're going to give our trust to people um, based on who they are far more than what they do. And that's a great point. And I'm going to tie it to our previous trust episode. So when we talked about getting trust, we talked about, are you doing the research? Are you following through so that you can be trustworthy? And I think as you give away trust, you still need to do the research and follow through, making sure that you're learning everything you can um, about the situation before you make a final decision or completely unleash your trust. Maybe you ramp into trust where you go in increments to see, is this working? Can I extend my trust further, right? I think there's some opportunity there. Jen, to me, the thing that I'm struggling with as we talk through it is I think there's still an element where sometimes you just can't get all the facts and you are gonna have to make a decision. Am I going to apply my trust here or not? There's no research to be done. The LinkedIn profile looks pretty solid. You know, um, I've looked at the SEC filings and they all appear to be in good in good standing. Do I go or don't I go? At some point, you have to make the jump. Talk to me about how you see yourself getting from across the chasm as it is. How do you make the jump? 
This is a tricky one. And I, I, you know, again, I think you're right. There does come a point where you've gathered all the information you can. And then the language that Rachel Botsman gives to it is you're going to cross the gap of uncertainty. You're eventually going to make a trust leap. And I think it all comes down to how narrow can we make the leap, right? That's the work that we have to do. How much can we shrink the gap so that when we're leaping, there is much less chance of falling into the abyss, right? And then once we've gotten to that place, that's where I think you you make a leap. And what I've seen is that you really do have to go all in because when you you shrink it as far as you can but then if you still walk tentatively into a relationship then you're going to extend this process for an unknown amount of time to gain trust at some point and this you know back to I know I said trust but verify you've got to decide to trust it, it won't all have been earned there won't be all the data but you've got to decide to go all in on trust because that's the only way you get to figure out if it is in the right place when you actually hand off that project to somebody and say I am going to let you own this now we've we've done all the you know the intro work then you've seen how I've done this you've observed other projects this is going to be your first you know lead on this project but I am going to give it to you and I'm not going to micromanage it and I'm not going to hover here but I'm going to give it to you because that's the only way I'm ultimately going to get to really fully and completely earn um, or give, sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up here, give that trust is when is when I released some of it. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do as leaders. And we've talked about the fact that we're not the greatest delegators in the world is that there does come a point where you have to release things to other people. And that's the only way they get to fully earn the trust. And it's the only way we get to learn to truly give it away. I think that's fair. And your point that you made right there, it's the only way you learn to give it away. I go back to where we started. There comes a point where you have to develop and hone an instinct and put others around you where you've developed an, a way that you make decisions. And the only way you can get better at better at knowing and where to place your trust is to actually place your trust and deal with any of the consequences that may follow through as a result. You're going to learn some lessons about where to put it and where to not put it. And I think um, that brings us to a really good point to pause and prepare for our next segment where we're going to really dig into a little bit. When you do place trust and things go awry, what do you do next? So on today's Real Talk, we're going to talk about giving trust at home. And I, I know in a lot of these Real Talk moments, we bring it out of the, the industry and the business world and back to our homes. But home is such a critical place, and especially in the process of raising kids, where you learn a whole lot about what it is to give trust and earn trust and what that whole process looks like. And and it's one of those things where we talk a lot in our house about once trust has been broken, because inevitably it will be. Kids are kids, right? They're going to tell you that they cleaned their room and they didn't. And, you know, and you have to to have this process but one of the frameworks that I have loved and I know that it's been probably at least three episodes since I brought up Andy Stanley so I think I'm safe here um, to bring up an Andy Stanleyism but when Andy and his wife Sandra have talked and they've done several talks and um, seminars things on parenting they talk about the fact that they had two rules just two rules in their house growing up the first one was respect your mother and don't get too worried dads the idea was that if you if you led with that then respect with the dad was inherent in the equation so lots more on that but the second rule that they had was no lying and the whole concept behind that was that lying breaks the relationship 
and in the in the two rules that were going to govern everything and then everything else was just going to follow there was this underlying sense that we're going to learn in the home to value relationships to give trust to grow trust to to gain in this area and we're going to value that over obedience. And I think if you translate that to the business world, you're going to value relationships and integrity over perfect execution, right? Because trust isn't one based on getting everything right, but on being honest about what you got right and what you got wrong. And so Laura, just in hearing that, I mean, what does that look like in your house when your kids have broken trust and you're trying to relearn and I'm going to, I'm making this personal for you because you have teenagers. What does it look like when trust gets broken and how do you give that back? When do you give them the cell phone again? Well, you just don't give them a cell phone. Be serious. <laughs> Come on. Yes. You went you went all serious on us there, Jen, but I'm pulling us right back to real talk. Like, hello, people. Do not give them a cell phone. There's a good place to start. Um, I don't say that entirely jokingly. We will do a separate episode sometime on the haves and haves not of cell phone distribution in my life. But um, I think part of it is like you, you do have to earn some of the credibility in your house, right? But I'll tell you, this is one that makes me crazy. And I feel like as a parent, um, every day you fight the battle of helping your kids understand that trust is the most important currency they have, not just with me, but with the world. And they have to learn it at home. It is so easy for the kids to look at us and lie. And they just do it so naturally. We are naturally inclined to dishonesty. It's a scary thing, but it's the truth. So I I could give you example after example. There was a time not even a week ago in my house where um, an iPad went missing. Now, be serious. iPads don't have legs. They don't walk away. <laughs> iPhone hasn't figured that out yet, right? Clearly, one of my... Clearly, one of my children had taken the iPad. Everybody denies it. Everybody denies it. It's to the point where I know which child took this iPad. I am not a moron. I have already used Find My Phone. I know whose bed it is under. And I am still, you know, doing the like, come on, guys, where's the iPad? And get lies. And finally, I just stop it. And I look at the child who I will not name on this particular podcast. I look at the child and say... You've now lied to me three times about it, but I know it's under your bed. What's your next move? And it's awesome, right? Because first they about poop their pants, which is fantastic. But then that reality, was that worth it? Why did I do it? Like you can watch all of these things going across this child's face all at one time. But I think it's so true for all of us, right? That little white lie that seems so harmless, it just bounces out. Be serious, guys. Like at some point, this is your reputation. There's big consequences. It's not always about who was playing Minecraft or on TikTok when they shouldn't have been and hiding an iPad, right? The consequences get bigger as life goes on. If we can't be honest in the small stuff, we might as well just pack up our bags and go home. And I think that's an important concept to learn and teach in our houses. And I'll tell you right now, I'm losing the battle or I think I'm losing the battle all the time. <laughs> However, I do have moments where I do see my kids and how they interact in the world. And I go, you know what? They're hearing it. They're learning yeah. it. And I think the big real talk thing here is, hey, parents, all of our kids lie to us. So let's just be honest with ourselves about it. None of us have the perfect child. But what is real is trying to get to the bottom of why they do it and helping them learn to stop. 
because it's a habit that has to be broken. Exactly. And I think there is that underlying sense for all of us of we want to be trusted, right? Because we want the privileges that come with being trusted. And so helping to make that clear connection between this is what we want and then the very thing that breaks it is this this lying. And so you want to be given trust. You want to earn trust. We want to give you trust. That's the thing I talk about with my kids all the time. Believe me, I want to trust you more <laughs> so that you can do things on your own. Um, but that's a two-way street. And so we've even done it in our house where we've had moments where we've asked our kids if they brushed their teeth. And then before they answer, I stop them again. And I say, wait a minute, just just real quick before you answer, you are about to be tempted to lie. And so I just want you to think about your answer for one more minute before you tell me, did you brush your teeth? So anyway, it is a lifelong process. As we just talked about in our real talk, sometimes trust is given and trust is abused. And so the real question that we're left with is what do you do with that? What do you do when you made the leap, you you bridged the gap of uncertainty, you gave someone your trust and it blew up in your face? Laura, talk to us. Oh, I thought you were bringing the answers to this one. <laughs> I trusted that you had this under control, Jen. And it blew up in your face. <laughs> it has absolutely blown up in my face. Listen, this one is so hard because I will tell you, I I have a long, long memory. So, Jen, you're always telling us um, on this podcast about the concept of keeping short accounts. This is a place where I need Jesus. I'm just not even going to pretend otherwise. Um I remember things my husband would tell you, he very carefully would tell you that I have the memory of an elephant, right? Like, um, I, if it happened in 1987, I'm going to remember it. And I will probably remember what you were wearing and what your haircut was at the time. It's I'm not messing around here, boys and girls. So I just, it's a real issue for me um, personally. So I'm being really transparent with our listeners about that, that when I do have a blip on the trust radar screen, it's really hard for me to get back on the wagon. So I um, I need this as much as they need it as we talk through it. Um, because to me, part of rebuilding trust is one, being willing to have the open and over, open and honest conversation about the trust that was broken. What was the trust that was broken? Why was it broken? And how are we going to fix it? Because if you aren't willing to acknowledge it first, you're going to get nowhere on the rebuild of the trust. Um, so that's the first thing to me is acknowledgement. I don't know about you, Jen, and your experience, but I sometimes find it challenging. Like if a trust is broken, I just want to walk instead of doing maybe the hard work of saying, hey, Jim, I trusted you would take care of this and you didn't. And now we need to address that reality. Yeah, and here's the thing. I threw it to you in part because this one is incredibly personal. And we said that from the start of the episode, this idea of what are we doing with our trust and how are we giving it? And I think everyone listening could probably tell some stories of how it's been broken. And I know for me, it's been broken. And it's been broken big and it's been broken in a lot of near and dear places. It's been broken with mentors that I trusted the most and just in some really significant places where I have had to wrestle it to the ground and truly walk into that place of what I want to do is walk away. And yet there are areas of our life where 
you also just can't walk away because it's a big deal. And the reason it hurts so much, the reason it was such a big deal is because you did care because there was an investment in a relationship. And so one of the things that I've learned, and this just, this comes from a deep place that listeners someday, if we're sitting over coffee, I can share a little bit more, but I I would want to share with everyone that there does come a time and a place in this journey where you do have to decide that you're going all in on recovering the trust. Because if you're still holding on to wanting to hold on to it, not being able to let go and not being invested in the process of rebuilding trust, then you will never get there. And you'll continue to walk yourself into walls and you'll also walk the people that you're trying to go through this process with into walls as well because you're setting them up to fail. Because sometimes people are in a place where maybe they've blown it and maybe they've blown it big time, but they want to rebuild trust. And unless you're willing to do that, because it does take time and it does take effort, once it's blown up, it the, the gap gets really big. And so there has to be this slow and very intentional process of walking it back in. But you both have to be invested. And if you're not, and now I really am talking from an employer-employee relationship, if you're the employer and you've lost trust in somebody, if you're not and you know you're not willing to do the work of rebuilding the trust, then you need to do both yourself and the employee the favor of walking away and, and ending it there. Because if you're holding on to it but not dealing with it, then you're just prolonging um, a relationship and an, and a work and someone's career in a way that isn't going to recover. And so with what you said, Laura, about acknowledging it, I just follow that up with you've got to acknowledge it and then you've got to decide what you're willing to do. Is it a relationship you're willing to rebuild? Is it an area you're willing to rebuild trust? Or is it not? And if it's not, then you need to say it and you need to walk away. If it is then you have to keep that short account. You have to, we'll stick with our elephants here, Um, not your memory this time, but the elephant in the room. We have to put it in the middle of the table. We have to talk about it. We have to deal with it. And we have to build a plan for how we're going to learn to trust again. Yeah, I think that's so important, um, the acknowledgement and the willingness to do the work. And I would even go back and say to our earlier segment when we talked about being able to give your trust. A question you should be asking yourself always is, if this does go awry, am I going to be willing to work on getting it back? Ask yourself if something goes wrong, if you're still going to be invested, because sometimes that can tell you whether or not you're placing trust appropriately or not. If something, if we do have a hiccup, am I going to work through it with them um, or not? And that's fair to both parties, to be willing to take that look at things. I really like, Jen, how you said, right? If you have an employee that it's reached the point where you're not going to be willing to do the work and come back to an even record with them, Um, you need to do yourselves both a favor and move on from it. And I think that's a really important life lesson for all of us. Not every relationship or situation is intended to be salvaged. They're all intended to give us a lesson. They're all intended to teach us something. They're all an important part in our lives, but they're not all intended to continue. And a lot of times I think that we have this predisposition to thinking if something goes wrong, that we automatically have to find a way to fix it and make everything better. Sometimes the fix in making things better is saying this doesn't work and we all need to walk away whole before it gets worse or before the damage is greater. And that's an important life lesson for all of us is to remember that we should never force something that's never going to work. 
Yeah. And, I, you know, and again, I took that to a kind of the, the negative side of that. But the other side of that, the really positive side of that is that I do believe trust can be rebuilt when both people walk into it and say, yep, this happened. Here's the acknowledgement. Here's the decision on both sides that we're going to work on this, that we're going to know that there is work that has to be done to be to rebuild that framework and and you can make it to the other side of that you can learn and in some ways it even makes it a higher level and I'm going to pick on the banking industry for just a minute here in the fact that you know banks took a big hit and for most of us I think we would say a deserved hit um, back in the 08 recession, right? Like there was a whole lot of all the stuff with mortgage bundling and everything else, some bad decisions made. I'm not saying all banks were bad or all bankers were bad, but as an industry, there were some things that went on that caused a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of damage when they got brought to light. And the reason I bring it up is right now we are in another tricky um, season in, in our world and in our economy and everything else. And one of the, the people and the entities that I see on the front edge of things doing a really good job are our banks who are working really hard right now at administering small business loans and finding ways to serve and to care for people and and to really have gone through a 10-year course correction on valuing the relationships with people and being transparent in how they interact. We see banks on the leading edge of supporting um, nonprofits in our communities, especially ones that are feeding people and doing things like that. And so I would just point to that as a really um, strong place where I have watched, um, a, a, you know, 12 years ago, total distrust. And now here we are in another crisis situation and I see banks out there acting totally differently and having rebuilt that. Laura, do you think that's do you think that's fair? I'm just so impressed that you said things like mortgage bundling as you described <laughs> all of that, Jen. Well, I am married to a financial advisor. Let's not forget. That's that's I, true. I do that absorb some of what he says to me at the end of the day. <laughs> It makes me so happy. I love it. It's so good. It's kind of like when I ever, every now and then drop a history fact and think, whoa, where'd I get that? It is possible to learn from others. Thank Ta -da. you, husbands. I know. They make us so much smarter. Don't tell them we said that, right? <laughs> so I do agree with you on the banking comment. And I think it's kind of one of the beautiful things that you see. It's part of, I think, the cycle of life we live in a little bit. And that sounds really corny and slightly Lion Kingy. But I think that there is this element of... People learn hard lessons, and I think there is this inherent good around us in this world that we often forget, but there, just as, just as there's some inherent evil, there's a lot of, if not more, inherent good. People are going to make mistakes, and they're going to learn from them and recover from them and even be even better the next time around. And I think that's what we're seeing with our banking industry, right? In a lot of cases, it was groups of individuals, not entire companies, that caused the situations we found ourselves in there. You know, insert Enron here, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was not every single employee that worked for that corporation. It was a couple people that caused us very significant issue. What did we learn? We learned that we need to regulate differently and not allow so much power to be accumulated at one desk with one signature, right? Um, and we put checks and balances in place that didn't exist as a res that didn't exist previously, and we're stronger for it today. And I think that just beautiful kind of ebbing and flowing of what happens in our world is important in this concept of trust. Our kids are going to break our trust. Our spouses are going to break our trust. Our friends will break it. 
our ability to together learn from that and get better from that is what helps our society as a whole become increasingly industrious, if if I may. I've not overplayed that for mm-hmm. quite a few episodes, right? <laughs> it makes us a more industrious people, a more prosperous people when we learn how to work through those things. I think that's even so true. I have a very dear friend um, who is a mental health professional. And she and I, sometimes as we walk, we'll talk about some of the things that um, are going on in the world around us, things that break our heart to hear or see. But one of the things that's interesting to me that I think the mental health profession's really been bringing forward for all of us lately is the need to acknowledge the things that are in front of us. So for mental health, it's don't pretend that depression doesn't exist and that you can, you know, laugh yourself out of it. It's a real thing. Let's deal with it. I think in the context of what we're talking about here, let's not pretend that we don't misuse trust or abuse trust sometimes. It's going to happen. Our ability to collectively address it and work through it is what makes us stronger. It's what makes us human. And it's what makes us successful as a people. And I think that's really important. I know my girlfriend's taught me that both personally and professionally, even in her ability to be not confrontational in a negative way, but open and honest about relationship hurts, right? You hurt my feelings when you did this. You address the issue. You both know it happened. And it makes you aware of not doing it again. And I think in the end, that is what we all are all about, right? taking that corrective action so that we can be better the next time. Absolutely. And that is trust is a process. And I know that that's easy to say. It's a personal thing. It's a big thing. It's a vulnerable thing, but it is a process. And I believe that it gets stronger when we treat it like it's a big deal and actually talk about it. And so Thank you for this conversation. It has made me want to give more of my trust to more people in a proactive way. Hopefully it's helped some of y'all too. We are going to take a walk down memory lane today and memory lane is going to take us straight to a pair of scissors and Jennifer's gorgeous Goldilocks hair. Jennifer, I think I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell our friends about the time I broke your trust with scissors. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm so excited that I get to tell this one because so many of the memories from our early childhood you remember better and have to tell. And this is, in fact, one of my earliest memories. Um, One of my very earliest memories. And so I do think it's important to tell everybody that it starts not with Laura breaking my trust, but with me very... um, easily and effortlessly giving Laura my trust. I could not have been more than two or three years old. And Laura told me that we were going to play hairdresser. And so I just sat right down in front of her in the doorway to her bedroom and she got the scissors. And I was sitting there holding my doll and thought nothing of the fact that Laura was going to start to cut my hair. And at the time, I did have just this little bit of curl in all my hair. And and anyone <laughs> who sees me now knows that I have stick straight hair and like I can't keep curl to save myself it's just been straight my whole life but once upon a time I had these these curls and then my sister decided that we should play hairdresser and I very willingly sat in front of her and thought nothing of it and she began to cut off all the curls at the bottom of my hair the hilarious part of the story though is that I very much remember my dad suddenly appearing and I don't know if he heard something or what was going on but my 
my dad suddenly appeared in the hallway and Laura took off. Like she took off y'all. She dropped the scissors and just started running around the house because she was terrified that dad was going to catch her because she knew she was busted and was in so, so much, much trouble. trouble. <laughs> I think a detail you may not remember is that I tried to cover the hair in the trash can before I took <laughs> off. Like I put something over it, you know, with this, you know, like mom and dad weren't going to notice that your hair was suddenly a sawtooth comb, you know, like a sawtooth terrible non-curly mass of awfulness right like I just oh my word I tried to cover it so that even goes back to this whole trust and lying topic right like not only did you gave your trust I definitely broke your trust in that moment and then I tried to cover it up like an idiot as if they weren't going to notice that well and then dad did you know he was going to catch you pretty easily we were pretty little I remember you sitting in a chair and not wanting to get up because you were pretty sure your your backside was going to get swatted so. uh, Oh, the good old days. Anyway, the good old oh, days. I have to love it, and I have to share that it's so funny how those things come around because Facebook memories just reminded me a week or two ago that there was a time when my youngest, my Ruthie, cut her hair when she was about that same age. And of yeah. course, I got to tell Facebook about it. I remember sobbing. So I would like to take this opportunity to say to my mom, I had no idea what I was doing to Jen and to you when I cut her hair. And I learned my lesson. So that old adage, someday your own kid's going to do this to you. Bingo. It happened. <laughs> Thank you for listening and trusting us with some of your time. We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, helped you consider whether you could trust a little bit more, and helped you grow in your industrious life. Thanks so much for continuing to share this on your Instagram feeds, your Facebook pages. We want to continue to help you in all the ways that we can. Sisters, business, what can go wrong? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sisters of Industry. Join us weekly as Laura and Jen reflect on their shared upbringing and divergent life experiences to draw out lessons to help us all lead and live meaningful, industrious lives.